0: Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith.
1: I love what John Wesley says about this. He he says, I I am this creature of a day, uh, passing away, about to enter into this eternal chasm. I want to know one thing. I want to know the way of life. God has written it in a book. Oh, give me that book. No matter what the price, give me the book of God.
0: This series, we're looking at 2 Timothy. It's Paul's last letter to Timothy, and there are only four chapters, but they pack a punch. I am so glad you've joined us. Today, we are talking about 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. And when I was asking my coworkers about, you know, who should I talk to about 2 Timothy, Paul Perot, who you know from Mornings with Carmen, said, "Oh, you should talk to Jason Meyer. He he's just great. You're gonna you you just need to talk to him." And so I reached out, and he said yes. And he is the lead pastor of Urban Refuge Church in Minneapolis. Thanks for being here, Jason. Thanks for saying yes.
1: Thrilled to be here. Thank you.
0: <laughs> so I've been having my guest. We start out with the guest reading the text. Would you mind doing that? Love to. Second
1: Timothy three verse ten. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work.
0: What translation is that?
1: That's the uh, ESV.
0: I like that. I read the NLT and the NIV. I hadn't read that one. It's like just slightly different. I love when you read different translations and different things stand out to you. Or sometimes I like to nerd out really hard and go to blueletterbible.org yes. and look at the original text Amen. too. So what stands out to you in this passage?
1: Uh well there's there's so many things. Um probably the, the number one thing that, that I hope people can see is in verse fifteen and 16, and 17, Paul is laying out for Timothy the the message of Scripture, which is to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, the inspiration of Scripture, where he says in verse 16, it's breathed out by God, and the sufficiency of Scripture in verse 17, where he says that the the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, just the the teaching on Scripture here is so incredibly rich, and uh, I think we're really helped by some of the word studies that happen. You know, we throw around this term, inspiration of Scripture, mm-hmm. and uh, it's hard to for some people to know what it means. I like the translation that says, breathe out by God, because the word is theopneustos, which literally means to breathe out. So we think inspire means to breathe in. Mm. Expire, not like an expiration date, but (laughs) expire to breathe out. And that's what this word is. But you can see why we don't say the expiration of scripture, because it sounds like (laughs) milk that's about to expire. But the beauty of this picture is just like in Genesis 1, where God breathes into the man, his breath of life. Mm -hmm. Now it's saying, God has breathed that breath of life into a book. And when we read it, we are breathing in the very life giving breath of God. Mm. That's what it means that scripture is breathed out by God. So that when you breathe it in, we really are not just breathing in like information, but transformation, that life giving Mm -hmm. breath of God. It's beautiful.
0: It is. When you were talking, I was thinking about the Chronicles of Narnia, *Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe*. When um, am I totally blanking on the lion's name? Aslan. Aslan after the battle, yes. breathes out and brings life back to the people. That's right. And I love that that you that you coupled that with, God breathed out and we breathe in.
1: Mm-hmm. And because it's breathed out, that follows then with what he says because. It's breathed out. Therefore, it's useful. It's profitable. Like it works. It teaches. It reproves. It corrects. It trains. So there's two things that we talk about being constructive teaching and training and then restorative or corrective, reproof, correction. But verse 17 is powerful. It says that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work. Those two words there are uh, really—there's a noun form and a verb form—artios, which means to be sufficient or complete. Exartizo, the verb form, means to be made sufficient. So when you're uh, speaking and you want to emphasize something, you could yell, raise your voice, something like that for emphasis. When you're writing— You repeat yourself. Mm. And so to have these two words right next to each other, the noun and the verb, Paul's trying to say so that you can be doubly sufficient, thoroughly equipped Mm. or furnished for every good work. So a lot of times uh, the battle for the Bible gets a lot of attention for defending uh, the fact that it's God's word, God breathed. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, the, the the Bible's like a caged lion. You don't have to defend it. Just let it out of the cage. <laughs> it's it's going to do its work. Mm-hmm. But so often we lose the battle for the Bible, not to believe just in the inspiration of the Bible, but the sufficiency of the Bible. Mm-hmm. To really believe, trust the Lord's word to do the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. There's a story that I love to tell about... Uh, A guy named Luke Short, who during the time of the Puritans was in London, was listening to the preaching of John Flavel, and uh, he was 18 at the time and didn't really like what John Flavel was preaching about sin and about being um, under the curse of God, and he just rejected it. His family ended up moving to the New World, and he lived— uh, to be 100, at his 100th birthday, they threw a big celebration for him. And he was thinking back over the course of his life at this birthday party. And he thought to his early years in London, and he remembered John Flavel. And he said, oh, I can't believe that. You know, what a bunch of bunk. And then he he stopped and said, "Oh, he was saying that you were under the wrath of God. And he suddenly got conviction of sin. like mm-hmm. I am under the wrath of God. And he remembered enough of the sermon to say, but Christ came and bore our curse so that we could live. And 82 years after Mm. hearing that word, he was saved. So to believe that you may not be able to see uh, this kind of immediate gratification of what the word's doing but you know it's working you know it doesn't return empty mm-hmm. doesn't return void
0: well and when you couple that with trusting the word and trusting the holy spirit i mean that i, I feel like that's where transformation comes from when Amen. you when you get into the reading the bible and Crack it open and start anywhere because yes. it's alive and active. And God, He spoke through a donkey once, so I sp- feel like He can do whatever He right. is intending to do. And couple that with inviting the Holy Spirit in to um, to seek to to cleanse, to um, create a uh, you know create a clean heart in me, mm-hmm. um, and search you know to search us that that's where the transformation can comes from can come from. And I I think you know just like the Luke Short remembered a sermon about scripture, like I'm thinking about the tension between we need to speak the word Mm -hmm. and there's a job that only the Holy Spirit can do. Like it's not our job to bring about change in people. It's our job to declare the word and let the Holy Spirit do his job.
1: That really is part of uh, wherever, you know, your listeners are today is to realize whether you're parenting whether you're sharing this word with a friend, with a coworker, with family members, we have to always fight the temptation to play the holy spirit mm-hmm. and to try to produce conviction by the force of our words or by our eloquence or whatever it is it's almost like when we talk about the word being a seed we're planting seeds we don't want to just plant the seed we want to push it down <laughs> yeah, crack deep it into open the soil and <laughs> get, get down there and we realize okay i need to relinquish mm. all attempts to to force this it has to be the lord that does that work we can't reach into anybody's heart And change it but he does with his word
0: and what would you say to the person who you know looks at the bible and feels like that is a big intimidating book and and to understand you know we talk a lot about context around here making sure that you're reading it in context and understanding and how i talked about you know looking back at the original text Mm -hmm. you know what do you say to the person who is maybe new to studying the bible and you know some advice for them
1: yeah, so the the beautiful thing about this is um, you don't have to know Greek, you don't have to know the original language. Um, actually, right here in this text is the answer in verse fifteen. We often call it the the doctrine of the clarity of scripture, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that scripture is all equally clear and easy to understand. Uh, Peter says in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, our, our brother Paul, there are some things that are hard to understand in Scripture, like in Paul's writings, uh, and they can easily be twisted to their own destruction you know, as they do with the rest of the Scriptures. So we're not saying that all of the Bible is equally clear or equally easy, but the message of how to be saved, how to be right with God— How to have this relationship with God, it is clear from Scripture. Like when you read verse 15, these sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love what John Wesley says about this. He he says, I I am this creature of a day, uh, passing Away, about to enter into this eternal chasm. I want to know one thing. I want to know the way of life. God has written it in a book. Mm-hmm. Oh, give me that book. No matter what the price, give me the book of God. So, to believe actually that God is speaking to me through this, I don't have to understand it all or articulate it all to be transformed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, we hear later in Second Peter, his, his divine promises are able to give you all that you need for life and godliness. So if you're wanting to follow the Lord, he's saying in his word, I have enough here for you to direct your steps so that you can uh, follow me, love me, but, but even better, know that I love you. Mm. I think sometimes as a pastor, I get people that come in and uh, they'll say, I feel like uh, I'm just really discouraged. Uh, I feel like the Lord is is really uh, irritated and and angry at me. And I'll uh, reply back and say, well, where has God made that clear to you? And they'll say, well, he, he hasn't really. I, I guess I just feel that way. And so I'll I'll gently mm-hmm. say, I think maybe what's happening is it's very easy for us to practice projection. Mm-hmm. That is, to think that God must feel about us the way that we feel about us. When actually, projection, the opposite of that is revelation. Let God reveal it to us, where He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Mm-hmm. Or the, the New Covenant promise of Jeremiah, I will delight with all my heart and soul to do you good. I mean, just imagine that. Just for somebody right this moment, wherever they're listening, to ask themselves, have you ever seen somebody do something and say, man, their their heart is all in it. They're all in. Imagine if God is not half-hearted mm-hmm. towards you. If he doesn't just... Uh, somehow tolerate you, but He's all in—an infinite heart, an infinite soul, being all in for you. It's hard to take in mm-hmm. that much of a promise, but that's what God's word is revealing.
0: I remember standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and I—I I was there. I—it was right in front of me. I could see it, but it was so vast that my senses had a hard time taking in how big it was and Mm -hmm. to see a a teeny tiny helicopter down on the bottom. And I remember standing there thinking, this is like God's love and grace for me. I can see it. It's right there. But my senses cannot comprehend it. It's boundless. Yeah.
1: Comprehend what is the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of the love of Christ, which surpasses... Knowledge. So he's he's asking, he's praying in Ephesians three for a knowledge that is unknowable mm-hmm. that goes beyond yeah. knowledge. It's like a mountain peak that you can never get to the top of, but it doesn't mean don't try. It means the the higher up you scale, the more of the panorama of the vista that you see, like new sights of His love for us. Uh, and I love the idea that. Uh, In the coming ages, he's going to show us what is the riches of his grace in kindness. I mean, I remember as a kid being a little bit uh, scared of heaven. And uh, the reason is because one time I asked somebody at church, like, you know, what's, what's heaven like? And they, very poor advice, said, well, just think of it like an eternal church service. And so I took my church <laughs> to service, child. which felt okay. really boring and multiplied it by eternity, and it didn't feel like good news. I mean, I was a little I was more scared of hell, but I was scared in a sense of heaven, but then when you realize no what what heaven is is this it's going to take eternity for an infinite God to display his boundless love for us. Like Every day you get a new revelation of it, just when you thought can't get any better than this can't get any higher than this, then the next day you're you're blown away even more mm-hmm. like that's that's what eternity is going to be like for those in christ
0: well and that that love is available to us now, even though we can't Amen. comprehend it. Yes. Susie Larson often says she thinks she feels like a lot of people live saved, but they don't live loved they don't mm-hmm. understand they don't grasp how much God loves them it's the living under the condemnation instead of living under conviction, where condemnation yes. would say, I'm bad, and conviction would say, I've done something bad, but Christ has made it right, yes. and I can be right with Christ because of the work that he did.
1: Amen. 100%. I, I think uh, what needs to be stated in this passage that's often overlooked because uh, realistically, verses 15 to 17 get all the attention because they're so glorious Paul's main message in in 2 Timothy is he's preparing Timothy to suffer. So in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, he gives all of these statements of those who are not following Christ. What does their life look like? They're, They're all wrapped up in themselves, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. And yet he says now... Look at the opposite, Timothy. This is you. These list of vices. here's this list of virtues you followed my teaching, conduct, aim in life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness. so he shows you're you're living a different way than those false teachers. But what really stands out is he says, y- "You know my persecutions and sufferings so these are these happened to him on his first missionary journey in acts thirteen started in Pisidian, Antioch, modern-day Turkey. And as he proclaimed the word, some people believed. But then the, the next week, the at the synagogue, the whole city is at the door, uh, ready to hear the message. The Jews get jealous. They incite the leaders against them, and they're kicked out. Next place they go is Iconium. And there, they again preach the word. People believe there's jealousy, they stir up the leaders, they're threatening, they're they're planning to stone them, so they get word of this and leave, and the next place, at Lystra, they actually were stoned. Mm. And then Paul goes afterwards, they, th- they drag him out of the city, think he's dead, he, he revives, and what does he do? He goes back. And they even go back through these towns, and his message is... We were strengthening the disciples, telling them, so here's a strengthening word through many trials and tribulations. you must enter the kingdom acts fourteen so he's trying to say it's going to be hard, and the 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 puzzle here is it looks like those who are opposing God are actually advancing, that mm-hmm. things are going well for them that's what he says they 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 go from bad to worse, and yet they're advancing, and yet those who want to live a godly life are going to be persecuted, and yet he's trying to strengthen Timothy to be able to understand that, to be able to receive that. But I think here's the thing that's most missed about this passage. When we think persecution, we often think non-Christians persecuting Christians, the world persecuting the church— the problem with that is Paul saying in these last days, why is it going to be so difficult? People have always been lovers of self, lovers of money. I mean, ever since Genesis 3 in the fall, people have been like this. What he's saying is what's always been true in the world is now true even in the church. Mm-hmm. Just like Janus and Jambris opposed Moses from within, you are going to be persecuted and opposed within the church. That's why he's been telling them, be gentle when you correct people in the church who are in opposition to you. God may grant repentance. So he's preparing Timothy not to be blindsided to think, well, we're going to get it from outside the church. He's saying, in these last days, the, the conflict and the persecution and the opposition is even going to come from within. Be ready, Timothy. Don't move away from the Word of God and think, we need some secret weapon then. if, if It's so bad in these last days. He's saying, keep patiently teaching, knowing the legacy that you have from your grandmother and your mother and from me and understand that God's Word is going to continue to do God's work. Persevere with patience.
0: Well, and then no accident that then that's when he starts talking about the love that that God has for us. Exactly. Is there any last thing that you want to make sure that we talk about from this section before we wrap up?
1: I think one of the uh, things I want to say is I I once heard Bart Ehrman, who's a skeptic, uh, talking about um, an introduction to the Bible class. And he said, how many of you have read uh, at that time, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code was big. How many of you have read that? And everybody raised their hand. And then he said, how many of you have read the the whole Bible? So no one raised their hand. He said, so let me get this straight. Some of you really are Christians, claim to be followers of Jesus. You've read Dan Brown, but you believe, you're telling me, you believe God wrote a book and you haven't read it. Mm. I don't understand. So I think that's what we're saying, even with this podcast. God wrote a book. Let's read it. Let's believe it. Let's receive it.
0: Mm, amen. Jason, thank you. This time went by so fast. Thank it was you very so fast. Much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this conversation about 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. If you'd like more information about Jason Meyer, you can check out the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And we'll see you next time for 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8.
1: The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at MyFaithRadio.com. Being the new person can feel intimidating, but we want you to know you belong, and we're so glad that you're here. We're excited that God is working in your life and that you're joining us in the mission field to tell the whole world about Jesus. So, introduce yourself, and we'll send you a special free gift to encourage you with information about who we are. Request your free welcome pack today at MyFaithRadio.com.
0: That's MyFaithRadio.com.